the reading of God's word for just a moment. To what shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marking place and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance, and we sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet wisdom is justified by all her children. You can be seated. If you can pull that down a little bit, Danielle, I'm hearing a little bit of a boom. I'm pretty boomy already. Well, good morning, everybody. You know, I am so proud of our church, so proud of the clothing exchange and, and you know, Cleone and Marcy and Anne-Marie and uh, Tracy were here all week sorting clothes and carrying around clothes and getting ready for that and, and serving and Simon was putting together bikes and was out there all day putting, gave out those 15 bikes and, and just loving on people and, and, and um, uh, Annika moved this week and, and uh, her family and, and others here in the church family were helping her paint our new house and, and we got a truck and moved her yesterday and, you know, that talks about true religion is helping, you know, widows and orphans. And some of our, our, our widows today are, are single moms like Annika that, that need help. And, and many single moms in, in the clothing exchange that have been able to be helped for years and, and have clothing because you guys have, have stepped up and served and, and helped with a bike. And, and I just want you guys to give yourselves a hand for the great work that you are doing as a church. You're, you're showing the love of Christ. You're putting feet to your faith, and I, I'm excited for that. Well, my name is Ken, and I'm, I am the pastor here at Crosswinds. That means that I am the complaint department at Crosswinds. I'm also probably the thing that people complain the most about here at Crosswinds. <laughs> now, I'm not complaining about that. Um, uh, that's the reality of church leadership. Often people are very critical of what church leaders uh, say and, and what we do or what we don't do. And uh, often after church, families will eat chicken fried pastor at lunch in their conversations. That's just kind of what people do. And hey, I understand. I'm very critical of myself most of the time. I sometimes fricassee myself at, at lunch. Um, and um, I can be critical of other leaders as well. It, it seems uh, a very natural part of our nature to be critical. Um, we tend to be critical of our elected officials, just watch SNL or just the nightly news. Um, our conversations often can turn critical of our friends and our relatives and their choices. Um, we can be critical of the service we receive when we're out and about, maybe going to restaurants or in businesses. We can be critical of movies and, and, and TV and music, just the, the entertainment that we, we have. Um, culturally, we value criticism very much. There are people that make their living just being critics. Um, we have movie critics and uh, restaurant critics and professional political critics. You know, today we are even critical of historical figures. And, and some people are removing statues of historical figures and, and, and monuments of people who did important things in our history, like fighting things in our history and fighting wars and establishing governments and, and, and making discoveries because some people today are, are critical of some of their ideas and, and behaviors that weren't maybe cool. Um, but, you know, I've heard that nobody ever erected a monument or a statue to a critic. 
And the reason, I think, is because critics or criticism tends to tear things or people down. And leaders tend to build things up and tend to do things and build people up. And I, and I believe the Bible teaches that God's people are supposed to be the type of people that actually do things and, and build things and, and build people up, especially people. But often, God's people can be very critical in their attitudes towards the people of the world. Um, they can be critical of the church and of themselves. And, and, and many actually see being critical as their spiritual gift. And if you feel that that is your spiritual gift, please don't exercise it here. As, as a leader, um, we have developed uh, um, some cultural statements that define the kind of culture we seek to create here at Crosswinds. I'm going to share them with you. Encouragement, being specific and generous in our praise, celebrating as a community and individually when people do well. Productive feedback, celebrating victories and identifying areas for constant improvement of our lives and God's mission. Well, being a critic is easy and often destroys things. Encouraging others and, and building them up with productive feedback requires investing your time and your talent and your treasure, and love into others, and being willing to be criticized. It takes effort. And, and God has done that for each of us. And so let's learn from Jesus today, the source of all love, who I believe is teaching us the ultimate danger of letting a critical spirit grow in our hearts. And, 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 and let's look closely in God's word at Luke Chapter 7, starting in verses 31 through 35. And he says this, To what shall I compare the people of this generation, and, and what are they like? And, and Jesus is asking his disciples to look at themselves and their generation the way I am asking you and, and, and me to look at ourselves today. Since it's so natural for us to, in our culture to, to be critical, we must first recognize it so that we can address it. I, I believe the problem Jesus is illustrating uh, for his disciples is very much the same as it is today. Our, our, our criticalness is ultimately a spiritual problem that will create a crisis in our lives and in our eternity if we don't recognize it and address it. And, and Jesus is giving us a kind of a little parable or illustration to, 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 to see what our generation is like. And he says, they're like children sitting in a marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance and we sang a dirge and you did not weep now at, at, at first read it's very easy to be critical of jesus's word and say what this doesn't seem very clear i must admit i had to read this passage many times before it became clear to me but i think that's kind of the problem right there our critical nature can make us very shallow we often don't take the time and effort to contemplate things and to seek out meaning. Culturally, we are very quick to dismiss what is not simple and easy access and entertaining. We're kind of a soundbite culture, and we, we kind of need to think. Jesus is saying his generation is like children. 
Now, there's a time when being humble and open like a child scripturally is a good thing. But here he's not saying it's positive. When Jesus speaks of people being like children here, he's talking about maturity and understanding, seeking to understand God and obey God. These are not little faithful children crawling up into his lap to faithfully absorb and hear what he says. These are unsupervised urchins out in the street, out in the marketplace. I was a latchkey kid. I, I grew up in a neighborhood full of a bunch of other latchkey kids in an apartment complex. They were like me. And all summer, we would just hang out from dusk to dawn, unsupervised, trying to invent things to keep us entertained. And that's more what our generation is like. Notice the kids here were just sitting. When we were kids, when we were just sitting around doing nothing, it wasn't good. Somebody would start complaining, I'm bored. Yeah, I'm bored. Hey, let's play tag. You be it. I don't want to be it. I always have to be it. You be it. I'm hungry. You're always hungry. Let's watch TV. There's nothing on. I want to play tag. And bickering and complaining would, would start to take over and Sometimes we work out our frustration by inventing games like pile-on or smear, and I can't even finish that because it's not culturally appropriate, and we would beat on each other, right? And our complaints would lead to fights, right? And, and Jesus compares this generation to kids just sitting around calling out to each other. But there's an implied question here. Who are they not calling out to? God. They're not seeking God. And Jesus is making an analogy to the religious community of his days that they're sitting around bickering with one another like children trying to be entertained, but they're ignoring God and his purpose and his design for their lives. Where are they? Well, they're in a marketplace. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying. That, that we kind of have an immature consumer mentality towards the things of God. Instead of being interested in forming deep relationships with him and following his design for our lives, the, the lives of, uh, of this generation are like children looking to be entertained. In, in Mark 4, 26-29, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seeds on the ground and he sleeps, and he rises night and day, and the seeds sprout and grows, and he knows not how, and the earth produces him, produces by itself, and first the blade, then the ear, then full of the grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So I think what he's saying is the children are, are like in the marketplace, sitting, looking for entertainment. And, and so most spiritually have a, a, a come and sit attitude towards the church and towards God's kingdom in this country or in our generation. It's a marketplace attitude, a way of doing church, where the community is attracted into a building to participate in religious programs put on by pastors and leaders, and they are to sit as an audience. And if they're not entertained enough because... They are an audience or critics. They find another game that seems funner for a while, and they go there. And that's called the attractional model of doing church, which is market-driven. Now, Crosswinds, 
few years ago adopted another model, which I believe what Jesus is talking about in Mark 4, which is agricultural. And we call it the four fields, and it's represented in, in this graphic. And it, it's, it's a relational model. Jesus goes into a field, which is a human relationship, and, and he sows um, uh, the seeds of the gospel into the lives of other people. And, and then he teaches those people how to obey him. And then he gathers those disciples into other groups of disciples that build each other up. And then they replicate that process by going into new fields of human relationship and sowing the seeds of the gospel, teaching those disciples uh, to obey, gathering them together in, into groups to be built up again, and then replicating the process over and over again. And then you keep doing that. But see, the way most churches work, it's like you go into a field, do a marketing program, and gather them into a barn. And we miss the, the human interaction. We miss, so it's like the kids marketing, calling out to one another. Replicating requires encouraging. Replicating requires building people up which was Jesus' model. Putting on a show requires critics. Which game are we focusing on today in the church, in our generation? And often in the church, we're just swapping sheep from one place to another. Are we following God's design for building his kingdom? Or are we pretending at a game we have seen in the marketplace? You know, the commentators believe that playing the flute for you in this passage would be like children pretending they were having a Jewish wedding and joyfully celebrating and dancing to a flute. But they played the flute for God, and God did not dance for them. And then there are other children pretending to have a funeral, and they lament and God is not sympathetic to them, and he does not weep for them. The point is, in both cases, they become critics of God because he is not performing to their expectations. For many today, if worship is not fun and entertaining and uplifting and a great experience for them, they will complain and disengage. And then for others, if worship is not somber and melancholy and, and formal... And everybody is not sympathetic to their sad little lives and, and working to meet their needs, they will then disengage. In both cases, they are like unhappy consumers in the marketplace because the church did not meet their needs. But that is like an immature child, that thinking, because biblically, we are all to be the church. And we are all to work to build each other up. That's how God's design works best. When we're not an audience, but when we're the church. And when we engage in building one another up. Not when we critique each other. And we critique, when we critique the ones who are doing the work. Now, now Jesus gets to the heart of the main criticism that's going on within the people that were listening to him. See, there were two powerful preachers in the land that had come to the people. Both were being criticized. 
For John the Baptist has come to eat no bread and drink no wine. And you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, John the Baptist had this stern message of repentance to turn from sin and receive God's mercy. See, John's lifestyle was one of asceticism, self-denial, and and self-discipline, keeping himself separate from the sins of the world. And yet many of the religious in his day rejected his message. They rejected his lifestyle. John was just too extreme. After all, they were not that sinful according to their rationalizing. Did you catch that? Rationalizing. We come up with rational lies. John must have a demon. That was their rational lie. With that eccentric clothing and that strange diet. So we can ignore what he says. We can agree that the sinful masses need to be washed like that. We like the freak show of people getting dunked entertaining. We'll go watch. But John is too extreme to expect us good, decent religious folks to repent of our sin and be washed. We'll just lament over here and play the temple game because we're good Jews. We will faithfully sing our little dirge under Roman oppression because God owes our nation something. And when Jesus came, he was nothing like John. He did not say things like, you brood of vipers, you must flee the coming wrath. Instead, he said, come to me. And they all did. The worst of them did. The prostitutes did. The tax collectors did. The thieves did. And the worst part was he didn't send them away. He actually seemed to like eating and drinking with them. And you know, you can tell what kind of person someone is by the kind of company he keeps. Jesus was too familiar with them, unlike John. He goes to their wedding, and he celebrates with them. And I heard he even turned a bunch of water into wine for a bunch of sinners. What kind of miracle is that for a rabbi? Messiah? Seems like a sinner to me. Glutton and a drunkard. Same critics, the Pharisees, the religious of Jesus' generations, criticized both preachers of God's word, didn't they? John had a demon because he preached a hard message of repentance, and Jesus must be a sinner himself because he had too much grace for sinners. Let me ask you a question. Was the problem in Jesus' generation the preachers or the messengers? No. Jesus said that John was the greatest man born of women up till that point. And and, And I don't think there's ever been a more influential preacher than Jesus. We all use his notes today. Right? He was pretty good. The problem then... And the problem today was the critical, immature, consumer-oriented hearts of the Pharisees. The issue was 
the Pharisees only came to see the show of John and the show of Jesus as critics, not to obey their teaching as, that, as if those teachings came from God. And Luke 7.30 reveals the heart of the religious generation in Jesus' audience. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Beloved, that's the ultimate crisis of the critic. If you reject the purpose of God, then who is really God in your life? You. So no matter how religious you are, no, no matter how much you think you know, you are like an immature child sitting in a marketplace calling out to your friends saying, let's play our own game and ignore what God has to say. The real tra tragedy is, while the critic is playing the role of God, he can't save himself. The Pharisees mocked Jesus, saying, friend of sinners. But Jesus wore it like a badge of honor because it was for him the reason his father had sent him to be a friend of sinners. They claimed John had a demon, but it was the purpose that John had come with a hard message to soften hard hearts to the truth, that even though God had the right to come and be critical of all of us, judging us guilty of our sin and our hard hearts, and destroy us with his anger. Instead, God was coming to forgive those who would now turn and be cleansed and receive mercy through his own beloved son. See, consumer critics face an eternal crisis in hell if they dismiss either of those messages. We need the hard message that God sent through John that we are sinners and that we need to turn from our sin or face wrath. And we need Jesus' message of grace, that God so loves every sinner in the world so much that it was God's pleasure to give up his only son to come and be our friend and accept us so much, with so much acceptance, that we would listen to him because sinners who know they are sinners are really comfortable around Jesus. And he did not sin with them, but he had fun with them, eating and drinking so that he could eventually die for them because he really loved them. And he said this, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Because Jesus loved sinners like friends. They trusted him. And so they believed in him. And whoever simply believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Now somewhere out there, there's a critic. And he's saying, Ken added some stuff to John 3.16. And that's way too much grace. And somewhere out there, there's another critic saying, telling people they're sinners and that they need to repent. And, 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 and he's talking about hell. That's way too old-fashioned and that's too extreme. interesting 
when I hear people criticize churches and church pastors in our generation, I often hear them say that that church or that pastor is too much fire and brimstone. Or sometimes I hear that church or that pastor is too accepting of people and their sin. I personally have been accused of both by the same people on different days. Guess where you open the Bible, right? But beloved, churches and pastors are just giving God's message often to children in a marketplace. And their pretend objections are only to hide and cover over their real hatred of God's truths and his authority in their lives. And what they really dislike is not so much God's preachers, but God himself. See, God sent both John and Jesus by his authority. But the children wanted to play at their own game and make God dance for them. And each of you need to understand this. Because if you are going to be his disciple, you're going to have critics too. Some will say, you're too holy like John. There must be something wrong with you. You're too heavenly minded to be earthly good. Live a little. You take life too seriously. And then they'll say about you, maybe even said the same people, how can you hang around with that kind of person? How can you give all your money to help those kind of people? How can you go to those kind of places? You need to isolate from the, the, those kind of worldly people and be holy like us and, 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 and pretend a little funeral like us and sing a little lament like us. That's too celebratory. But beloved, we can't listen to the critics. or we will suffer their crisis. You know, Jesus concludes his teaching by saying, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. What Jesus is saying is, there are children of the marketplace, and there are children of wisdom. The children of the marketplace are critics, and ultimately, they are critics of God. The plain truth is the natural heart of man hates God. The carnality of our fleshly mind is at war against God and his purposes. It dislikes his law. It dislikes his gospel. And it dislikes his people. And we seek to play our own game by our own rules. But the Bible says this that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, Proverbs 9, 10. You see, God has a design for our lives. And friends, that design is perfect if you look up on the board. It includes every area of our lives. It includes our marriages. It includes our finances. It includes our relationships with other people and how we treat other people and how we speak of other people. But we are all like immature children, and we seek to pretend that we can play this life by our own rules and our own design for life. And we have all departed from God, and we've all run out into the marketplace, and we, we try our own ideas. And when we end up 
in a place, we end up bored and, and broken, and things start to break down. And to fix that brokenness, we come up with playing other games and that we learn in the marketplace. Some of us try multiple sexual partners to, to, to fight off the boredom, and some of us try new chemicals and alcohol and drugs to fight off the boredom. Those are those squiggly lines. Some of us try new forms of entertainment sources, Netflix and Hulu, and some of us seek self-improvement and, and, and play at religious experiences and, and self-improvement of all different kinds, self-help and, and, and workaholism and making more money. And, and, you know, none of it really fixes the problem. And we usually end up more broken. We just play at our own solutions. God's word says in Proverbs 14, 12, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. But beloved, there is another way, and it's the way that John and Jesus both told us about. John said, turn from that way. Turn to God. Turn from his just wrath because we've rebelled against him doing our own thing and turn to Jesus and receive God's grace. This is repentance. Turn to the gospel, to Jesus. He is a, a friend of sinners. He's a friend to those rebellious kids like me who found themselves lost, bored and broken in the world, in the marketplace, pretending that we had all the solutions. And Jesus says, come to me, come to me and drink, for in me you will be satisfied. You'll be so satisfied that out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water to bless others. Believe my message. Believe in me. I am a friend of sinners, and I will forgive your sin. I'm not a religious pretender. With a joyful song or a sad song, those are just shows. I don't pretend. I love you so much. I will die for you. I will satisfy all your debts, and I will forgive your sins. And a true friend keeps his word. And that friend of ours, Jesus, didn't pretend. He really died for us on that cross in the middle of a marketplace while people called out, and mocked him. The critics all mocked him, saying, Save yourself! Save yourself! And they were entertained by saying that. You said you were a savior! Save yourself! But Jesus was a friend of sinners. He didn't pretend at loving them. He cried out to God for the very ones mocking him and saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And then breathing his last, he said, it is finished. Which is an accounting term that meant that our debt was paid in full. Paid off God's wrath against our sin. Because a true friend keeps their promises. And then three days later, he, he walked out of the grave. And that was like a receipt proving that he had done the deed. Done the deed of defeating your sin and defeating death forever. Matthew's gospel records this. Of Jesus saying what the critics said about him. 
Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And on Easter morning, wisdom was justified by her deeds. God's wise children are not those who pretend in the marketplace, but those who are justified or made sinless by belief in the deeds of Jesus Christ who walked out of the grave. And if we repent and believe in him, he will be a friend of us sinners, forgiving all our sin and giving us everlasting life. And through the wit, the Holy Spirit, he will give us wisdom to recover from our brokenness and to pursue God's design again for our lives. And if we will follow him and stop pretending at religious games and being critics, he will teach us to be his church. And he will send us out in the fields, out into the fields of human relationships with a, a, a real purpose of bringing encouragement to a broken world uh, as a friend of sinners. Helping the children of the marketplace stop being critical of God before their situation becomes eternally critical. got to love them. We got to stop criticizing them. Otherwise, we're no different than they are. We got to show them a new way. We need to be Jesus to them. It's time to pray. No. I said pray, not play. Or pretend. Are you ready to repent? It's time to admit your sin to God. Are you ready to believe Jesus is a friend of sinner sent by God to die to remove the stain of your sin and your shame? Are you ready to follow him? Are you ready to start playing by his rules and do it his way? to learn to be his disciples, to be baptized in his name? Are you ready to commit to following Jesus because he loves you and he is a real friend of sinners? If you are, let's pray. Everybody stand with me. Oh Lord, I thank you and I praise you that the God of the universe would call us friends. You had every right to criticize us. We have no right to criticize you. You created us. You gave us life. You gave us everything that we have. And we should just pour out our praises upon you. And Lord, we have sinned against you. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for entering our world and embracing us, showing us the way to love, 
showing us that being a friend was to suffer. Suffer the imperfections of others. You did it to the point of death on a cross for us. But that love does not end. You rose on the third day. There's a promise for us of forgiveness and everlasting life. Lord, if there's anybody here that has never believed in that before today, or anybody recommitting turning from their criticism, turning from a critical spirit. Let them believe right now. You will forgive all that. Fill their heart with love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Make them new. Set them on your path. And send them into your world to be a friend to sinners. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing right now here in this church and online. We praise you, Jesus. You are worthy of all praise. Let praise be what fills our lips. Let criticism fall to the ground. Change us, O God. In Christ's name I pray. Jeremy's going to sing a song about being a friend of sinners. If you'd like to pray, I'm, I'm here. I'd love to pray with you. Praise God with you or, or, or any commitment that you'd like to make. I'm here to um, just celebrate that.